You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is finally here, guys. We know where East Carolina is going. The Pirates are heading to Charlottesville, Virginia. Once again, matchup with the Virginia Cavaliers in the NCAA baseball postseason. We'll get into the matchups. We'll talk about the field, the host, everything. If we feel like ECU got slighted at all in the hosting mix. As always, I'm Stephen Igo, joined by Jonathan Wagner, joined by Scott Lorbatcher. And guys, uh, it, we've kind of been building to this point all season long, and we'll get into the matchups and everything. But it just it, it feels good to finally see a, a bracket, finally see the Pirates' name on the selection show process. Scott, just uh, how, how excited were you today with finally reaching this point and your thoughts on ECU's draw? Yeah, it's great to finally be here. You know, now now the real season begins. This is what we play for all year to put ourselves in a position to have a shot um, to win these next two weekends. And, you know, hopefully the two weekends after that, if we're still playing. So um, I think we had to wait a while, you know, to today during the selection show to find out. But um, I think we're in a good regional. Um, you get a team that we don't typically ever play in Oklahoma. Uh, it's kind of the same with Army. And then um, a team that we're really familiar with in the postseason had some of our best moments against in uh, UVA. And then paired with the Conway Regional with some of our old friends and Coastal Duke and UNCW, if we're to come out, we're likely playing one of those three schools. So an exciting uh, pot of four and pot of eight. And hopefully we're, we're playing, you know, Duke or UNCW in Greenville next week. Yeah, I think it's – and we'll get into it, but I think it's the most favorable potential super regional draw ECU's had in a long time. The problem is, of course, you got to go on the road and beat a absolute offensive – beast in Virginia and Oklahoma is no slouch either. We'll talk about that. Jonathan, your thoughts on the draw. You're now, I guess the official on three sports uh, college baseball insider. So I feel like you're now the most qualified person on this podcast to, to give us your opinion. I don't know about all that, but I mean, like I, I've been putting together my brackets all year and I finally published one last night after the host were announced. And, you know, part of me is like, man, I'm going to miss doing these brackets every day and just killing my free time with that. But now you get to fill out brackets. So if you're into that, like I am, that'll be fun too. But first thoughts on the draw, like you said, a familiar team in Virginia. And I think it's a good Virginia team personally. I'm very high on them. And Oklahoma, I think, is just kind of, you know, we'll get into the specifics later on. But 
I was I was a little bit surprised just looking at their stats that they are a tournament team. Um, they were right there. They made it in. But, you know, they, they don't wow me. They don't blow me away. I think it's a very winnable first game for ECU. And then Army is an okay four seed, too. You know, they've got some dudes. And all around, like we see every every weekend, ECU's going to have to show up and play their best baseball if they want to win. And if they don't, then you're in the postseason and you will get beat. No doubt. I think it's definitely not – you know, you look at ECU, the four seeds that ECU has gotten in the last few years, like Quinnipiac. I know Quinnipiac won, but um, – you know, what was it, Norfolk State, and who are some of the other ones in recent years? There have been some bad four seeds outside of the year UNCW came. That was a screw job as a four seed. But um, there have been some bad – Coppin State, I believe, was the last one. Yeah, Coppin State was one. So Coppin almost State, when you – Norfolk, Quinnipiac yeah. are the last three. When you get that first – if you're the one seed, the, you know, really the big advantage outside of playing at home is getting like a really bad four seed. And for Virginia – yeah, they're better than Army, but they still have to go out there and play well or they're going to lose. So um, I think that's definitely worth noting. Uh, and as far as Oklahoma, looking over some of their stats, they do some things really well. They they take a lot of walks. They steal a ton of bases. Uh, they don't hit for a ton of power. Uh, and pitchability, they don't strike a lot of guys out, but they don't walk a lot of guys either. So it's kind of an interesting scenario where basically they kind of control the zone offensively and defensively. So uh, throwing strikes on ECU's in on Friday will be critical. And then also not uh, on the offensive end, they're going to have to put the ball in play and, and uh, you know, hit their way on base. I don't think they're going to get a bunch of walks. So we'll get into that matchup as well. As always, we're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Drop your comments. We'll get to them. We'll also get to our winners from last week's regional prediction. Somebody said that I got it right. Did I predict ECU to go to UVA? I think you did. Yeah. I don't even remember that. So it's a very um, humble way to look at it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I feel like I predicted them to go to Coastal, so I'm glad I'm wrong. But it just, you know, I honestly thought they would end up at Clemson or Wake. And I know ECU was the stronger two, but I felt like Maryland or West Virginia would go to uh, Virginia the more I thought about it. So I'm glad I predicted what I really didn't think would happen. It's just, this has been a, a long standing relationship, guys. I mean, ECU's only road regional win ever was at Virginia in 2016 as a three seed. And then, of course, they came here last year, so you're going to have a lot of familiarity. They scrimmage each other in the fall. So what do you think about just the familiarity there, Scott? Does that favor either side? Does that favor ECU psychologically going on the road to a place they know they could win, at least against a team they, th they know they can win against? Yeah, I mean, I think it's familiarity is good for our team. I think our team feeds off of being able to have quality at bats and having seen pitchers before allows you to do that a lot easier than than the other way around. Um, but yeah, you know, if you look back, that team that that won the the Charlottesville Regional in uh, what twenty sixteen, none of those players are still on the team. So, you know, maybe they do have some confidence having beaten Virginia in in our regional last year. But um, as far as like going there and winning, you know, that's not not something any of these players have experienced. I know Cliff is still a part of the team, obviously. So he has that experience. So each year is a new year. Virginia is a really good baseball team. They haven't lost to a team outside of their conference all year. So we'll, we'll hopefully be either the first or second team that does that to them going forward. Yeah. And they're 32 and four at home, which is pretty incredible. Uh, I think 19 and 10, in the ACC, but if you dive into the ACC, Series they did sweep Miami, but they had some pretty 
If you look at most of the tournament teams they played, they struggled uh, a lot of the time. So I, I think they're gettable. It's just that offense is uh, is something else. All right, let's get into some of the comments, and we'll let the comments dictate where this show goes. Um, JPN says, will there be a podcast next week, win or lose, or just win? Um, I'm down to do a podcast, win or lose, guys. How about y'all? Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, we have yep. to. Somebody needs to go back and listen to the the preseason prediction podcast and let us know what we got right and wrong. So, and that is true. We'll have some sort of wrap up, regardless of of when ECU season is over. Hopefully, it's several weeks from now. But we'll have a wrap up podcast that Monday to follow, and maybe maybe even do another one. We'll see how we'll see how many comments we get in that podcast. Um, all right, guys, we might as well go in and get into it. It's, what everybody wants to talk about as soon as a regional is announced. Chuck wants to know the elephant in the room. Who do we pitch first? And I'm always so torn about this because I always feel like I can see both sides. I can see, Hey, we're playing to win the regional. And realistically, if you're going to beat Virginia on that Saturday game, that's how you're going to win the regional first off. And if you're going to beat them, you're going to have to have your horse. Um, but we don't even know, guys, if Trey Savage is 100% going to start. I mean, this is a – it's a really unique situation for East Carolina because all of a sudden you look at last week's conference tournament, yeah, Josh Groves has been a starter all year. Um, but Garrett Saylor looks like maybe he's the best or second best option as far as a starting role going to this regional. So I don't think there's an easy answer here. The good news is if you're Cliff Godwin, I think you have options – because I think you can mix mix and match based upon matchups. So uh, we'll start with Jonathan. Any any gut feeling on who ECU should start or will start heading into Friday? It, it's an interesting balance when I look at it because a- anybody who's listened to this podcast, you know, for the last three years, however long I go and I have been kind of doing this for baseball, it's I'm all I've always been of the opinion you throw your guy game one, and my reasoning for that has always been it's just I like. And, th- and this year, your guy is Trey Savage. So usually, and I will say, Trey Savage should start because he kind of sets a tone. He gets you into the late innings. You probably trust that he can do that. But with his health lately, you don't you don't know 100% exactly what he is. But he's your guy. So I think in some instances, you go, you go to him. But the more I looked into the matchup, and I go, we were talking about it off air a little bit, and Oklahoma has 109 stolen bases this season and 142 stolen base attempts. So they're a team, they're going to get on base, and you have to limit that. And, you know, Trey Savage, he, when, he, when he's on, he's really good. When he's fully healthy, he's really good. You just wonder if he goes back to that starting role. He pitched out of the bullpen a couple of times this past week. You know, how does he look? And how does he look – does he look comfortable in that starting role again? But so you look at a guy like Carter Spivey, a guy who's like – he likes to pitch a contact a little more, and do you go to him or do you want him out of the bullpen all weekend long? Do you go to a guy like Garrett Saylor? So – I guess my long story short here is I have no idea, but if, if I was making a decision right now, I would probably go against my personal typical belief and I would start one of Garrett Saylor or Carter Spivey. Yeah. I mean, I think you make good points. Um, I, you know, gross has been susceptible to the walks this year, which leads me pause as far as starting him against OU, which I just ran the numbers. They, their their own base percentage as a team is over 400 despite a 270 batting average. So they basically 
they're trying to walk. So that worries me a little bit. I do think if he's in the zone, he can he can handle them. But um, Scott, your thoughts here? Do you have a, a feeling either way? Yeah, you look at Oklahoma stats. You see forty four home runs as you know something that kind of jumps off the page to me. Is they're not a team that's going to hit the long ball. And I think that's been a bit of a knock on Sailor in the past as he kind of gives those up on occasion. So if he can pitch the way he pitched this past weekend and fill up the zone and pitch the contact and make them put the ball in play, then I think he gives you a really good chance to beat Oklahoma. And then you have Trey Savage to go up against UVA, who I'm assuming is probably likely going to save whoever their ace is for game two. And, you know, the, the goal is to win the regional, not just to win a game, not to, to you know, be in the best position to win one game. So in, in my head, if Saylor can fill up the zone, he feel comfortable with him pitching the way he did um, against USF, then I think you have to come out with him, go from Saylor to your Savage, and then maybe Spivey in game three um, to start with or Groves in game three, kind of have a little bit more to play with there in the back end. Yeah, it's such a fascinating conversation, and you could almost go into the first game, you know, if you start, I don't know, you could start whoever, Spivey, uh, Gross, hell, start Danny Bill for all I care. I mean, dude's been dealing. Um, But let's say it's a 3-3 game in the seventh inning. Go to your savage if you got to, you know. What I mean, it, it, it's kind of the, one of those situations where now you you could t- you can go into that game saying, "Hey, if it's a one run game or whatever in the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, let's win that game, and then maybe we can bring him back out of the bullpen again the next day uh, and start, you know, Sailor." The one thing that concerns me about Sailor is he threw Saturday right at the tournament, and he threw a career high 111 pitches. He's never thrown that much. He would have to be bummed up a day. That concerns me a little bit. Now, he do, he is a guy that bounces back pretty well, but he's never had to bounce back from 111 pitches. So that's something the staff will have to consider. I'm sure they're having these same conversations. Uh, they're looking at the matchups a lot more in-depth than, than we are. We do have a lot of votes for, hey, start Sailor Friday, you Savage Saturday. Um, somebody says Sailor earned it with his Saturday performance. You know, the good news is, if it's Sailor, if it's Spivey, if it's Gross, I feel like ECU's had enough guys emerge in the bullpen that you can go to whoever in the third, fourth inning if, if the starter doesn't have it. You can go to Danny Beal in the second, third inning. I mean, it wouldn't be ideal, but you got to win the first game, obviously, to have a chance to win the regional. So it's fascinating, man. And, and Cliff Goblin has shown in the past, guys, he's not afraid, even as a two two seed, to try and to try and pitch around pitch off that first game you know it hasn't always worked out it what was at columbia he pitched krasinski tried to save reed love uh in the miami regional and that that didn't work out so well so i don't know man i mean you can argue it both ways and i think both ways are are fair um for sure but it'll be fascinating i think the team will take tomorrow off from practice they're taking today and tomorrow off just to get some time to recover Wednesday morning, they'll practice. I would assume they'll have a decision on who starts by then. I don't know if we'll have any availability then, but we should know Wednesday or Thursday. I'm sure the team will know probably Tuesday. Um, all right, let's see here. Uh, Steve Young, not the Steve Young, but a different Steve Young, says, Not a podcast without uniform talk. Might as well address good uniforms for regionals. 
So I don't know about you guys, but if I see the lavender uniforms make an appearance in Charlottesville, I'm going to be very disappointed. Um, the gold was undefeated till Sunday or till, yeah, till Sunday against Tulane. So I don't know. I feel like you got to roll with the traditional whites on Friday, right? As the, the top seed. Yeah, I think you I think you go with your normal rotation. You go with the whites, even the pinstripes I'd be okay with first. And then you go purple on Saturday. And then when it's time to clinch the regional, you bring out the golds and you win it. Fair enough. Scott, any any thoughts? I think we gotta get Steve Young with uh Jerry Rice when he gets here so they can hang out. <laughs> but um no, nah, I would go pinstripes, uh, then white pants, purple jerseys, white hats, and then yeah, gold for the third game. The team wore black a lot last postseason, so I don't know if that will come into play at all. Um, I wouldn't hate it. In the past, that's been, hey, we're if it's an elimination game, they break out black, and usually that's worked out pretty well, so maybe that happens if ECU drops a game. Um, Michael Hackett says, any idea who Oklahoma is going to start? Braden Carmichael is the only guy on staff below a 4 ERA, and he's a lefty. I'm guessing it'll be him. I would I would figure it would be Braden Carmichael, too. He has been their Friday night starter of late. He is a senior. I remember watching him pitch in the College World Series last year. Um, you know, typical pitchability lefty doesn't walk anybody. I mean, he's walked 13 guys in 74 innings, so he is going to be in the zone. Doesn't give up a lot of hard contact, only four home runs, but teams are batting 272 against him. The problem is I, I don't know his splits. I have to go watch him to see if he's more of a – slider or changeup guy if he's more of a changeup guy you kind of like that with a lefty heavy lineup but if he's more of a slider curveball guy you, you're kind of worried about that against a an ecu lineup you know from ecu's vantage point you know as a left on left you can kind of neutralize that change up a little bit so we'll see i mean they have other guys on staff the interesting thing that jumped off the page to me guys is oklahoma just does not strike anybody out i mean they have to rank near the bottom of the country in strikeouts as a pitching staff all four of their uh, their top arms in terms of usage, less than a strikeout per inning. They are only striking out 402 guys in 500 innings total as a, uh, a pitching staff, and opponents are batting 271 against them. So, you know, they don't walk a lot of guys. Again, we talked about that earlier, only 257 walks, but there's going to be chances to put the ball in play. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see several hit and runs put the ball in motion, that sort of deal. But thoughts on just the, the potential of facing Carmichael? I don't know how much research y'all have done. Um, Jonathan, any thoughts there? Yeah, I, I also remember watching Carmichael last year, and he's he, he just fills his own. And, it, again, like you said, that's kind of how the whole staff looks just on paper. Not a lot of strikeouts, but people are going to put the ball in play. And if you're a team like ECU that really thrives on drawing walks, getting on base, stolen bases, hitting runs – all that kind of stuff, then it really bodes well for you. If you've got to get there and you've got to get those guys on base to start. But if ECU can play their offensive game and get into that, if it is Carmichael or whoever, then I think it, I think it bodes pretty well for the offense. And again, I think you have to win that first game. So I'd expect Oklahoma to throw the guy and Carmichael looks like it. So I don't have the extensive scouting report that some people might, want us to have but i mean yeah a pitchable lefty and we've had troubles with that in the past but i we'll see you just got to come out and play your offensive game and get on base because if you don't then i think you're gonna have trouble against a team like this 
Any th- anything jump off the page for you, Scott, as you look at Oklahoma, whether it's Carmichael pitching or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, he's clearly their their guy. Um, and if you can get past him and into their bullpen, those ERAs are a lot higher. Um, and the one thing that scares me is, like you said, he doesn't walk a lot of guys. Um, and we kind of have a tendency to, you know, get down 0-2 in counts and then ground out or and then start trying to jump on first pitches and, you know, not being able to get guys pitch counts up by fouling pitches off or whatever it might be or getting guys on. And if you look up in the sixth inning and he's thrown 58 pitches or something like that, then that kind of can be worrisome because you may not be able to get into Oklahoma's bullpen. Um, you saw it when we faced uh, Ricky Castro from Tulane and his ability to fill up the zone and us and our inability to get hits that day to make him work and, you know, fill up the count. Um, and it allowed him to, to extend his outing, you know, unfortunately for the whole game. So, that, that is a little worrisome for me. Hopefully um, we'll be able to get to scout him well enough to, to put some balls in play and get some guys in, in motion. One thing that could help ECU is uh, Oklahoma did play Houston earlier this year in a three-game series, and, and I'm pretty sure Todd Whitting and Cliff Godwin have a solid relationship. So you would think Houston would help out ECU with some info on what they saw. Oklahoma actually swept Houston on the road. That was when Houston was early in the season kind of trying to figure out who they were. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting. I would be shocked if they didn't throw Carmichael, um, unless, you know, his splits are reversed for whatever reason. Um, it just, it seems to make too much sense. Lefty starter. We know how much ECU struggles against soft toss and lefties or pitchability lefties. Um, so we'll let you know that news when we get a chance. Christian says, how did AMAC look at the selection? So he looked good. You know, I know he's been dealing with some, some virus or something, um, stomach issue but he looked fine you know he was eating everything so i thought he looked better on sunday still definitely laboring a little bit i mean the whole team was i mean cliff Goblin said it best and scott we were talking in the in the group chat you were like our bats look so slow today and cliff Goblin said post game it looked like you could read the label on the bat going through the zone because that's how slow they were i mean it just Six games in six days. Uh, let's get into this discussion because this conference has got to figure out what the hell we're doing. ECU went to Florida with an RPI of 21. They went seven and two, I believe is right. Yes, yeah, seven and two, and their RPI dropped six spots. What are we doing? Like, what is like the conference obviously is, is bad, but. ECU had to play the eighth place team in those nine games, what, seven times? We played USF six times, six times and then yeah. Tulane, who had the worst RPI in the league, going into the yep. conference tournament another time. So, And then UCF was the only game that really helped you RPI-wise. So one out of nine games. And, it, you know, to be honest, it cost ECU a, a hosting spot. Because if this was a top five league, if you go seven and two in those games, guys, your RPI is in the top 20, not falling down. So, you know, look, I'm happy for Tulane, happy for Corey Galore, but a 40-loss team in the NCAA tournament is a freaking joke. Um, They have no business being in, and I think the conference hurt itself by – by allowing this format. I I just think it hurts the teams. If you want your teams to go to Omaha – you have to give them the best possible path to get there, and that's with the highest RPI possible, the hosting possibilities as high as possible. So 
I don't know. It just something needs to be looked at there. Um, I know we have several thoughts on it. So, Jonathan, I'll let you take the take the stage, and we'll go to Scott. Yeah, I mean, just again, first of all, like not taking anything away from Tulane. They came in, they did what they needed to do, and they won. So, but like like you said, a, a nineteen and forty team making the NCAA tournament is just stupid. And again, that that's nothing against Tulane. That's all against the format of the tournament. And I know a lot of people in the last game, and this is a whole another rant that I'm sure we can get into later on, but they want to blame the umpiring and they want to say that one call at the end blew ECU's chances of hosting. No, it did not. If you want to be mad at something, be mad at the tournament format, because if the tournament format was better, ECU is not in a position to where one play makes the difference like that. And then plus, that's also just baseball. Sometimes if you put yourself in a position to where one play is going to make the difference, you're already done. So it, it's, it's just so it's just so stupid. We've talked about it so much, but it, it benefits the teams like Tulane, the team like the teams like South Florida from a couple of years ago. And once you get to that point and you're so familiar with these teams, you know, at this point, it becomes a crapshoot when you're playing your sixth game of the week and your fourth game, your fifth game in four days. At that point, you're you're pitching the back end of your bullpen. No discredit to those guys, but you're pitching guys who haven't actually had an impact, a true impact on the success of your team this year. And you're just whichever team just gets by the best and really has. I saw this somewhere. I don't want to steal credit, but I don't remember where it was from. But it really comes down to in the last couple of days of that tournament, which team has a better day of batting practice? Because that's what it is, because even the pitchers, you're thrown on fumes. You know, Carter Spivey pitched almost every game. Landon Ginn pitched almost every game. Garrett Saylor threw a thousand pitches. Hell, Landon Ginn threw a thousand pitches. Trey Savage was coming out of the bullpen multiple days in a row. And it's just, it's stuff that shouldn't be happening and stuff you wouldn't expect to happen. It's stupid. It, it benefits the lower end teams in the conference that are fighting to keep their tournament, their tournament hopes alive. And it's, it's just, I keep saying the same word, but it's just so stupid. Scott, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I don't think you there you don't see other conferences with this format where every team gets in, um, and that's for a reason. Um, most of the conferences have it so that the top four teams, you know, play each other to help their RPI. Um, you know, obviously this year didn't matter because the league was so bad that nobody we played was really going to help our RPI very much anyway. Even if had Houston swept and we swept in, it, it wouldn't have been a huge benefit one way or another. Um, but then you get into player safety. Like, I mean, Tulane brings a guy out who threw 97 pitches the day before to close the game. What are we doing? Like, that's that's not the best thing for these 20, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds. I think he's actually 23. But either way, like, it's not, it's not a benefit. Um, to, to the players, and, you know, you play six games in six days, before the week before the most important weekend of the year, like that doesn't make any sense. It should be your top four teams and play it in a regional format. Get a little bit of that that feeling going into the next week of a double elimination four-team tournament. And if you look at this year, those top four teams, they would have all been RPI points for winning. We'd have obviously lost some for losing, but it wouldn't have been hey, you beat this team three times and you lost six RPI points for some reason. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, And, you know, hopefully next year with some of these teams coming in, they'll have to adjust the format. I wouldn't think they would just go top eight um, and, you know, leave a few teams at home. I think they did before 
last year or two years ago when UConn was still in the league, whoever finished in last in the conference wasn't in the conference tournament. But yeah, I mean, we got we got to figure something out. It's just not a good format. Your first game that you play is a Tuesday night game after a weekend series where your top teams have to use their best players because typically it's so fine whether or not you win the league. You have to you have to actually try in those games. And heaven forbid you're playing a USF who can just not worry about it and they can hold guys back. Um, I think Tulane did the same thing with Castro on, on Tuesday. So, yeah, I mean, let's let's fix the format. Let's start the tournament on Thursday and have it over by Saturday or Sunday in the worst case if, it, if you need the extra game. Yeah, it's just not conducive to your, your teams in the league having postseason success. So I agree. I mean, lots of good points there. There's a lot wrong with it. Uh, you could also tie the conversation, should we move it out of Florida so we don't have 18 freaking rain delays every year? Um, but, hey, let's just move it 20 minutes up the road, potentially, to another Florida city, uh, which is <laughs> apparently being discussed. All right, let's let's uh, let's move on. Robert has a good question or statement, I guess. He says, talk about the Auburn AD committee head placing lower-ranked SEC teams as host. Yeah, I mean uh, – it's just, uh, first off, I'm glad John Gilbert's going to be on the committee next year because maybe EC will finally get some uh, some representation and some help with this stuff. But I don't think it's any coincidence that Indiana State is hosting with its AD on the committee. I don't think it's any coincidence that uh, Auburn, with 34 wins, is a 13 seed and has a very favorable, if not the most favorable, regional draw overall, guys. How was Auburn a 13 seed? I mean, they – you can argue they don't even deserve to host, which I don't even think they do. So it's just, I don't know, man. It's just disgusting. Um, the SEC is the best baseball league by far. Like, I'm not going to deny that. But to give half of the teams a host, eight of the ten SEC teams in the tournament are hosting. Like, that's just – it shouldn't be that way. Um, I just – I don't know. I feel like it's it, it's hurting the sport. Something has to be done. You know, if we're going to rely on RPI – why are we just ignoring Campbell because they're Campbell uh, and giving that host to an SEC team, which, by the way, Auburn was 19 in the SEC or the RPI. Suddenly they jumped to 13, probably because their guy is the head of the committee. So some questions need to be asked. I don't have access to the NCAA conference call, but I'm hoping D1 Baseball or somebody asks some legitimate questions because it's just – it's not a good look, not great optics. Uh, any thoughts, Scott, on, on what transpired with the host? Yeah, I mean, I think – one quick solution to this is to extend the tournament a week and do a, you know, only have three game series decide this tournament. Uh, and then you would have 32 seeds hosts in the first round. Uh, and then I think you get a more fairly seeded tournament. Uh, and then two, I, you know, I, I texted you guys this earlier, but it should be guys that are, don't have active roles where they don't have to deal with going back to their, um, their presidents and their athletic department and be like, why are we not hosting? Why did we get this team? You know, if Auburn goes back and they're not a host because they didn't deserve it, 34 teams don't deserve, 34 win teams don't deserve to host. I don't care what league you're in. I don't care how well you finish. Teams that lose 11 of their last 14 games don't deserve to host. I don't care what league it was in. It doesn't make sense. So get these guys that are in active roles out, have a true committee, that is unbiased in the sense they don't have to go back and deal with someone um, 
and and I think you get a more fair result. And then and then seed the tournament one through sixty four. Who cares if two SEC teams are in the same same regional? If you're going to have it that way, it's just the way it is. If you're going to give them eight hosts, they're going to maybe they get somebody from their conference and their regional. All fair points, uh, Jonathan. Did you? Uh take exception or have any thoughts on the hosting process like any any you know the fact that the sec got eight hosts or anything surprise you there yeah i mean the when i projected it i i got 15 of the 16 and look i i don't think anybody watching this podcast right now thinks that any of the three of us are campbell supporters by any means campbell absolutely should have hosted and I don't even think they should have hosted as a 16 or 15. I think they should have been up in the 12 to 13 range. Campbell had the what 13th non-conference training schedule, 8th non-conference RBI, and they still took care of business in the Big South, and they went 22 and 5, RBI 13 total. Albert, I, I agree. You know, a 34 team, a 34 win team does not deserve to host. I don't care if you won 17 games in the SEC. I don't care because Auburn they had a top 60. Um, I think 58 non-conference strength schedule. And it's it's the eye test too. The eye test matters and Campbell passes it. And the fact that they're not hosting, whether it's over Auburn, whether it's over whoever, it's I'm gonna go back to my favorite word, but it's stupid. And it doesn't make any sense. There's there's not an argument you can make that will make it make sense to me. And again, I'm never gonna go out of my way to defend Campbell if I don't think it's deserved, but Campbell got hosed. Campbell absolutely got hosed. Um, I can't remember. Was it one of y'all that said put ECU's name on those metrics and ECU's 100% hosting? Put any, put UNC's name on them. Yeah. And they're hosting. Yeah. And, just, and then the argument for Indiana State was like, if a mid-major can't host with these metrics, then one would never host. I mean, Campbell's aren't so Campbell's small. were right there. Yeah. Like that, that it, it's the same argument. If Indiana State wasn't there, than Campbell hosts, but the problem is they didn't want they had they lost the, how many spots they have had available because the SEC had eight teams, and it just yeah. doesn't it doesn't make any sense to have eight teams from one league. Somebody on the committee has a son that plays for South Carolina, so I mean, there you go again. It's just I don't know, man. It's just uh, I agree with your take. It would be nice to have a truly unbiased committee, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, hey, at least John Gilbert will be biased towards East Carolina <laughs> starting next year. So uh, maybe something will finally work in ECU's favor. Um, uh, a win in Florida says the chicken tenders in Clearwater were subpar this year. Was that an omen? <laughs> I don't know. I would feel like the chicken tenders in Clearwater are always going to be subpar. Uh, maybe that's just me, though. No, I agree with you. So as someone who's had them before uh... – it was a couple years back. I wasn't overly impressed. And I'm a big chicken tender guy. You are a big chicken tender guy. <laughs> chicken tender and pizza, baby. That's right. That's Jonathan Wagner. Somebody's going to walk in with a pizza through that door one day. <laughs> uh, Michael Hackett says he would start Josh Groves first. We can get back in that conversation if we want to. Uh, Christian Bateman says throw Sailor game one, you Savage game two, Spivey game three, save Groves for a potential game four. Hey, man, you may need Spivey out of the bullpen game one. So you just never know, man. You, you can have all these plans, and then Oklahoma can go out and score three runs in the top of the first, and then you're like, crap. So 
the good news is I think you do have options. And the good news is, too, I, I think nobody's wrong in their opinion here. I, I think they're all valid takes because I don't think there is a clear answer. So that's it'll be a big decision for Cliff Goblin and, and Austin Knight to make. Um, Sam Anderson said, Chair, the selection committee mentioned changing the RPI system. Thoughts on changing the RP, RPI system? Will it actually happen? So I was listening to the guys from V1 Baseball talk about this and, like, they were mentioning, yeah, this always gets brought up, but nobody ever does anything about actually changing the RPI. So until somebody actually comes up with a new formula or goes about actually concocting a plan, I don't – you know, we can keep talking about, like, how we don't need to rely on the RPI, but when is somebody going to do something about it? I mean, we can talk about it, but the people in that role have to actually come up with a different – play i mean hire a scientist or a scientist or somebody to come up with something i mean i don't know scott any thoughts on an alternative approach yeah i think it's it's pretty rich of a guy to say we should do something about the rpi and then base the entire field off the the right. RPI. i mean if you look, nc state wasn't one of the last four teams in that's all you need to know about how much they valued rpi because other there's no metric that says nc state is solidly in this field other than rpi yeah and it's just – it's going to favor teams in the southeast. Um, it's going to favor the SEC teams like Auburn who struggled earlier in the year and then were able to, to beat up on some of these these SEC teams that were, you know, around 500 like Georgia and Missouri uh, that aren't really that great of teams. They just have a high RPI because of who they play. They only play high RPI games. So you don't lose a lot of points for losing high RPI games. Ole Miss is the same way. They – they didn't have a terrible – They would, I think they would have been second in our league, and they're clearly not a very good team. So, you know, and it hurts teams on the West Coast. I think we had four teams from the West Coast make the tournament or four teams from California and then the two Oregon schools. And it's just – I mean, it's really not fair. They talk about dropping your, your five worst RPI games. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, well, those would be conference games for us. They actually wouldn't um, because they're talking about five actual games, not five results. So that's not dropping the two-lane series. It's – Dropping one of the Georgias, I think Washington, not Mason, um, and then like Queens and, and schools like that. I don't know that that's the best solution either. Or maybe just take the top 25 games you play and base your RPI off of that. I don't know. There's there's all sorts of ways you can do it. Or how about this? How about we look at the RPI as a way to determine what teams that we think could potentially be in the field, and then once we get to those teams, actually look at the teams themselves and determine – how good they are not based off of their results, the teams they played, what players they have on the field. I don't know. That's a novel concept, I guess, for these guys to actually have to to put some real research into the teams they're supposed to be um, selecting and seeding. Yeah, I mean, in reality, like, how much is the Indiana State AD watching East Carolina baseball during the year? Like, I mean, it's the same way. Like, no knock on John Gilbert. Like, I don't think John Gilbert's sitting around on, like, his weekends watching, like, Missouri – yeah, Missouri Valley baseball, or I mean, like, I don't know, man. It's just we got to do something. Actually, we don't have to do anything. We can just talk about it and then watch people not do anything about it and do the same thing each and every year. But hey, then it gives us something to talk about and complain about. Um. So yeah. Uh, Chuck says I think if Shinkman and Danny Beal are on top of their game, we win the regional. Yeah, I mean, there's been some up and down with this pitching staff, guys, the, the last half of the year. Um, you know, Shingman's been hit a little bit. I, I, I feel like I heard that he was dealing with some 
he got a little overheated, maybe is what somebody told me in 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 Florida for the conference tournament. So maybe that had something to do with his struggles. But um, he's also been a victim, much like Carter Spivey of uh, Bapip. Man, like how many ball, how many soft hit balls fell in for South Florida during that entire tournament? And even Tulane had some as well. Um, that's part of the issue you get when you're in the zone as much as Spivey and Shinkman are, and obviously Danny Bill as well. Those guys don't walk anybody. Um, would like to see some better execution on O2 pitches and 1-2 pitches. There have been a lot of mistakes in the middle of the zone on those type of pitches. But uh, overall, Jonathan, what are your thoughts on kind of the way this bullpen is trending? You know, a month or two ago, Danny Bill was kind of just like a middle relief guy. Now he's the guy. But I think if you can get Shinkman back, I think if you can have, you know, Spivey on this game, We'll see what they do with you, Savage. I feel like the bullpen, even Eric Ritchie could be a matchup guy. So I feel like the bullpen's in solid shape going into the postseason. Yeah, I think, you know, I think parts of the bullpen are trending up, but I also think parts of the bullpen are trending down right now. And, again, I, I don't want to look too much into the conference tournament just because, again, the format's stupid, and it's it's not fair to the pitchers, just the format of it. And it's not even them pitching every day but getting warmed up to it. They're dead tired. So – but to me, I think, yeah, I think if Shankman is on his game, then that's a big boost because he's one of those guys who has been trending down in the second half of the year. And like Steven said, it's it's really just me, the two-strike mistakes that's been so frustrating. And, you know, you get 0-2, you get 1-2, but then you leave a breaking ball right over the plate. And if the teams in the American are making you pay for it, the teams in the NCAA tournament are going to make you pay for it too. Especially, God forbid, if you start doing that in a game – against Virginia with Virginia's got some dudes at the plate. I mean, Jake Jelloff, or I, like, I, I like to call him rake Jelloff because all he does is rake. He hit one so far on the Charles last year and Kyle Teal, he's a top 10 pick probably this year in the draft. So if you get to Virginia and you start making those mistakes on your pitching staff, you will lose. And, but yeah, I, I do think I am impressed by Eric Ritchie. He's someone who's trending up. He's another lefty option, too, that I think can come in and whether he's a one-out guy, he comes against a lefty, or he can go in any if you need him to. But Danny Beal, he's kind of become that super reliever that we dubbed Carter Spivey last year and Garrett Saylor. And, you know, it's other than that, though, it's really – I do have questions because, guys, something I talked about at the beginning of the year, you know, getting into well-defined roles as a pitcher. And – I think we've fallen out of that a little bit over the past month just with injuries and everything. So, you know, does a guy like Zach Root, who's been starting lately, if he comes out of the bullpen, you know, is his mindset different? How does he react to that? And on the flip side, you know, same thing with the Garrett Saylor. And he, we saw what he did on the mound. We've seen what he can do in the bullpen. You know, which one does he do better in? And, you know, it's – there's so many ways you can look at it, but pitching, I think, will be the deciding factor in this regional. I think ECU is going to be able to score enough to be in games. I'm not sold if I, I, the offense isn't, I don't think, good enough to win you games single handedly. So the pitching staff is going to have to show up. Oklahoma's numbers might not look good, but Oklahoma was the runner up last season, too. So they've been there. They've done that. Skip Johnson's a good coach. Virginia's a great team, and Army's got some dudes, too. So the pitching staff. I think is really the most the biggest X factor of this week. Leslie Brooks says USF is not Oklahoma. Mm. They are not. It's big and true. Uh, Chuck Saley says double deal and Danny Bill. And yeah, 
Uh, <laughs> Christian Bateman says, what's going on with JJC? Uh, you know, we talked about this. I, I think JC has hit the ball better than what his average has shown. Like, he's hit the ball hard right at people sometimes. Um, and he had a big double. Was God, there were so many games this past week. When did he have that double down the line? <laughs> he's, got, he's got me. If you look at a specific moment from one of these games, I don't know. But I feel like it was either Saturday or Sunday. Um, either way. Yeah. Look, Jake Washer. I think uh, Jake Washer is speaking of Campbell Hayter. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, JC. Look, he hasn't. He hasn't. I don't think been the same since he. Uh, had his injury, but who would be the same after that? So I think he's swinging the bat better. Um, I still think, look, we got the JC spike. He spiked his bat after <laughs> one at bat. So I, I correctly predicted that. Um, but no, look, this this offense, when it has Mullen and JC going in the middle, that's when it's going to be at its best. Obviously, you hope that that is trending towards that. Um, I thought there were several good offensive moments for this this team in the past weekend's conference tournament but i think by sunday man just everybody was so tired and it didn't matter um so we'll see i, I don't think anything's wrong with jc i think there's been a lot of expectations placed on him because of last year and maybe he's tried to do too much at times is what i would say is my biggest takeaway um chris allen says so does charlottesville get burned down when we win this regional thoughts guys do you think uh, charlottesville lives to tell the tale come monday i'm so glad you asked that question because the answer is no. <laughs> We're going to burn down Monticello. <laughs> that's it, right? That's the right one? I, I think so. That's the right one. We're burning down Thomas Jefferson's house. <laughs> uh, Mark Schechter says, has anyone looked at UVA Army matchup? Army has a kid that's 9-1, 2.86 ERA, smell a potential upset. I mean, yeah, Army's a legit four. Uh, wouldn't be shocked at all. It's baseball, man. Look, if UVA throws a guy who has a bad start, it could certainly happen. I just don't know if Army's used to facing those type of bats, man. That's a different different level. Their strength of schedule is nowhere near what UVA offers. So we'll see. Um, we'll get into this question. I'll get y'all's take on this. Uh, Michael asks, how do y'all feel about Jenkins Coward being taken out every game of the tournament? I know he hasn't been quite himself since the incident but I'd rather have his bat in the lineup late. No offense to Riley Johnson. So this has been done more as a defensive replacement late in games, speed type of deal. I mean, it just depends on how, you know, what the matchup is. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it when ECU is trailing because I do prefer JC's bat in there. But at the same time, Riley Johnson has been great. I think both the guys deserve to start. You just only have three outfield spots and Cunningham has been hitting great. Hoover's going to start. So, Y'all's thoughts on this? We'll start with Jonathan and then go to Scott. Yeah, I think defensively your best your best defensive lineup in the outfield is Riley Johnson in center, Lane Hoover in left, and Carter Cunningham in right. So I, I, I understand wanting to have that when you're trying to get your final outs to win a baseball game. And, but, and I know we talked about this earlier. We had this conversation in a text chat earlier this week. And, you know, with JC, I think he was – Going into the tournament, I he was really struggling, I thought, and he just didn't look right at the plate to me. I, I agree with everything that we've, we've said. And I said, you know, Riley Johnson has been swinging the bat well. So right now the difference between the bat 
it might not be as much, but then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I kind of feel stupid. Because in the end, when you get into a regional, you get into the postseason, JJC's bat is the type of bat that wins you a game over Riley Johnson. And I, I value the defense, but – and I I don't want to talk anybody down here, but when you look at it, JJC might be the wrong outfield outfielder coming out of the game. If you're looking at a purely bats, I think Riley Johnson's bat has been better than Lane Hoover's lately. So, you know, but there's a lot of options you could use. I personally, I also want if say Josh Moreland comes to the plate, Jacob Starling comes to the plate, and say they don't get it done in the ninth inning when you're down by one, who's the next guy you want up? It's JJC. All right, uh, Scott, your thoughts there on, you know, JC being taken. This has been happening basically the entire year, not just the conference tournament. Yeah, I'm just not a fan of taking out big bats when we're when we're down, um, which was the case the last couple times with uh, with him getting pulled for for a pinch runner or whatever it might be, and then um, that spot coming up in a big at bat like it would have um, in the championship game against Tulane. Uh, and then it just doesn't protect the bats that would have been in front of his spot was uh, where his spot was. Right. So, you know, Moylan and Clonch don't have that bat behind them. Um, that is a home run threat really. Cause I mean, obviously Riley Johnson can put the ball in place. He's fast. I'm really surprised we didn't bunt with him with runners on first and second um, with as tired as it, how everybody was um, with as tired as everybody was, you know, especially Tulane's tired too. I mean, they played five games. Maybe get a bunt down the third baseline and, and load the bla- uh, bases, but um, I would have rather had JJC up in that spot, even if, if with runners on first and second. Um, you know, and unfortunately we didn't score the run we needed. So, you know, hindsight's always going to be twenty twenty. But I trust Cliff to make the right decision, even though that's not a decision that I would probably make. Uh, this is more of a. We'll go through this question quickly because this is more of a future question uh chuck says to strengthen our rpi what marquee out of conference games do we have next year sam anderson brings up you know scheduling coastal carolina with gary gilmore retiring i don't know if that's going to change things i think that's more of a distance how hard it is to get to and from midweek unless they would love to see them schedule a weekend series um here's my thing with this is like ecu scheduled liberty and missouri state to typical regional teams that just were not regional teams this year so you know those teams are top 50 rpi teams your your resume looks a lot different so i don't know what you can really do other than keep scheduling that way and hope that the teams are good uh do y'all have any different thoughts there no i think um you know we, we've talked about what i'm about to go through before but you know just the state of north carolina has so much quality baseball and yeah, we see them on the on the midweeks, and we have a Leclerc Classic. And I think, you know, I think we'll have some better teams starting to come through in the next couple of years, from what I've heard. So, but I think you know something. Maybe maybe you don't do it the third weekend. Maybe you do it the fourth weekend of the year or something, and you just do something similar. You you meet on a neutral field, whether it's even in Durham, go to the D bat, and you get a team like even say you don't get Carolina there, but. You don't need Carolina there. You can, there's so many other quality teams in the area, and I, we're not gonna. We don't have to go through them all. We all know, but just getting a, an event like that, even if even if you have more than four teams, just get a kind of a round robin, just a fun little event going. Make it annual. You can rotate some of the teams if you want to, 
And I just think the baseball are in this area is too good not to kind of showcase it with an event like that. And I think it would it would help ECU from non-conference RBI standpoint, I think. And it would help, you know, maybe some ACC teams like an NC State if they're in there who – that's always a topic conversation. I'm not going to go down that road right now because I'd be talking for a while. But but NC State's not the only one. You look at the ACC and their non-conference strength to schedule, it's, it's brutal. So I, th- I think that if they want to play it, I think it would have benefits for – everyone really so that's something i would like to see personally yeah uh go ahead scott i was, I, was I think you know you look at our our conference our non-conference schedule this year and there's two things that jump out to me is we didn't go on the road on the weekend and we played two teams in george mason and george washington that were going to be bad rpi teams no matter what um and then the conference obviously didn't help being as bad as it was this year i mean you look at last year and i think we still had you know three or four top 100 teams and we didn't have a single one other than us this year um i I would like to see us go on the road on the weekend i know we with unc we're we're trying right like it's just the weather last couple years has has messed that up where it was supposed to be a neutral site game last year and, and that got all jacked up but maybe actually go on the road one weekend a year and play a, a Wake Forest or a, a really quality Sunbelt team, like a Southern Miss or somebody like that, um, and then get them back here so we have a, a marquee, a second marquee home series to go along with that U, uh, the UNC um, you know, three-game series that, that's always home away and neutral. All right. Um, if we say all this, ECU still had, what, the 12th-ranked non-conference strength of schedule this year, so – in the end, the biggest culprit is still the conference. That that knocked ECU, what, from 12 to 70, I think, strength right. of schedule overall. So the conference sucks. Is the, the <laughs> You know, even Cliff Galvin said it best. He was like, for whatever reason, our conference RPI was so bad. Like, he didn't even <laughs> like try to, like, sugarcoat it, uh, making the case for ECU's hosting a regional. Ultimately, the conference and the crappiness of the league cost ECU a hosting shot. Um, all right. We'll run through some of these questions. We're getting close to an hour. We could probably go for two hours, but we're all a little tired, and it's a holiday. Appreciate you guys joining us on this Memorial Day. Robert says, how does Alabama deserve to host a regional? They're not ranked in the top 25 because they're in the SEC, Robert. And if you're in the SEC, you can do whatever you want. Um, Johnny Robertson says, Garrett Saylor on 18 Saturday starts since 2021 is 6-0 with Two saves, so I'm guessing he's... Yeah, I think he's followed up later and then just appearances. Okay, appearances. appearances. An ERA of 169 and a whip of .89. So, I mean, might as well just leave him on Saturday, right, guys? Sailor Saturdays. Sailor Saturdays. Sailing into Saturdays. I'm all for it. (laughs) Uh, There's your decision right there, you Savage Friday, Sailor Saturday. It is locked in stone. Is that a saying or am I just speaking of? (laughs) Written in stone. Written in stone. There you go. That sounds a lot better. Locked in stone. Locked in the stone. <laughs> I guess stone cold lock would be the better way to uh, to phrase it. It's been a long uh, week. Yeah, Steve Young. He's back. He's uh, he's. <laughs> I'm not even gonna try to say it. Um, I was gonna make a Jerry Rice joke again. He says, "What is the status on Ryan McChrystal? Uh, McChrystal pinch hit." He was the final out, so I think he's fine. He you just Wilcox and defensively right now, you trust him more. 
McChrystal will be the guy next year behind the plate. Um, but Wilcox is your guy right now. And then with Nowak and, and Clanch performing at DH, he just there's not really a everyday role for him right now. Um, and he's had the injury. Uh, let's see here. All right, Kurt Cohn's got a good question. He says, do we have any pitchers throwing a changeup? When Dietrich was here, we had a lot of pitchers that had a breaking ball and a changeup. Since Dietrich left, I don't really hear of any of our pitchers throwing changeups. It was a big strikeout pitch when Dietrich and Roselle were here. Um, so you got a couple. I mean, you Savage is throwing a split change now that they kind of came up with. Spivey sometimes throw a changeup, but it's not his best pitch. Same with Groves. Uh, Zach Root's got a really good changeup. Danny Beal's got a good changeup. Um, am I missing anybody, guys, that throws a changeup on staff? It, I, I feel like definitely the staff has become a lot more breaking ball heavy than changeup heavy. And I think we see a lot more splitters now than we have in the past, too. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm trying to think. Like, Richie throws mainly breaking balls uh, from the left side. Winter has a breaking ball to go with his fastball. So – there is a lot of sliders, but I mean, whether it's changeup or slider, I feel like the ECU staff has, you know, Landon Gins kind of cutter, curveball heavy. So I feel like it has gone to more of a breaking ball approach. But the, you look at the strikeout numbers, the strikeout numbers for the staff are way up. So I don't think it's a major issue. Um, it's And it's probably more pitcher preference than approach preference. Uh, Lucy Jones has joined the snap, has joined the chat with an all snap, I should say. Um, <laughs> Robert says, same for Kentucky. Yeah, they're in the SEC, so they can do what they want. Uh, la, 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 la. Bubba Rosenbaum says, 41 of Army's 54 games have come against quad four. Nice series win at Charlotte early. So yeah, they're just, you know, they're in the Patriot League, correct? So they don't play this type of competition that these teams play, but they're still, I think, a good team. Um JPN says it's about time we see Clonch DH. Please tell God when to keep Clonch the lineup. I'll let him know that JPN twelve twelve let him uh is making the call. Um not being able to rest Justin Wilcoxon was bad, had several fastballs. Yeah, I mean who wouldn't be bad, guys, after six straight games of catching in six days? Like, I don't blame him at all. Thoughts? No. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, we just mentioned Ryan McChrystal. It, I would have liked to see him get in for a game, but, you know, I understand, you know, wanting to have Wilcoxon in there. But I think he would have been okay if you put Wilcoxon at DH and McChrystal catching. And that's if he's he's ready to catch health-wise. We, we don't know. But, yeah, I think yeah. having Wilcoxon in, I think he was in the, in the five-hole for most of the weekend or – Right. Um, that kind of limits you on what you can do. Uh, I think maybe having him bat ninth one game. And then if if it's going the way we want, you know, put in Delisi if you don't feel comfortable with McChrystal's back right now, having him sit back there and, you know, letting just that ninth hole kind of be like the, the old National League pitcher spot where you're not really worried about offense. It's just this is a, a guy that we need in the lineup to get our guy some rest. So. Yeah, I, I think having him – yeah, I mean, he caught six games and two of those games went into extra innings. Uh, I, I mean, that's tough on anybody. I don't know that anybody would have performed well on their sixth game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a lot to um, lot to ask of a guy. So, I think Justin – look, he's had a great offensive moments this year too. Um, so, I think he's been a beast to be quite honest. Like, it's just so demanding to catch – 
And he's, he's down there catching in Florida, six games. Like he's not catching the ball, you know, in some northern state where it's not as hot and, and humid. So it's just hopefully he gets some time off his feet this week for sure. Christopher says, who do you think is going to give us that regional moment we talk about in the future, i.e. Travis Watkins walk-off and Agnos in 2019? So do we want to go ahead and make our regional predictions? We're, we're closing in on an hour, and we can we can kind of lump this in with, with this question. So let's go ahead and do that, and then we'll get to any more questions we have. Let's make our regional predictions, guys. Um We'll go around the, the horn. Who wants to go first? Who wants to step up and make a prediction first? I'll go first. All right, there you go, Scott. I'm too scared, so you go, Scott. <laughs> I need time I think, to think about it. I think we get past Oklahoma in game one, and then we lose a close, tight contest to Virginia in game two. Then we eliminate Army in game three, who has beaten Oklahoma. And then we take the first game from Virginia and then unfortunately lose in the fifth game uh, of the Charlottesville Regional. But Starling will deliver a big hit and give us uh, that, that glimmer of hope in game four. Do we know if there's a uh, – do they switch it this year to where the top seed is always the, the home team? They waited until we weren't a host to right. change the rules so they no longer benefit us. So there would not be a Travis Watkins S walk off if ECU's playing Virginia. So that that will have to come in the top of an inning, which is just not the same effect as walking off somebody on their own home field. But hey, it can be done. Um, Jonathan, I'll let you go next. Thoughts on a uh, regional prediction? Yeah, I'm I'm very similar to Scott. I think ECU beats Oklahoma. I think Virginia beats Army. I also think Army beats Oklahoma in that elimination game on Saturday. And I think ECU makes it back to, yeah, I'm trying to think, do I think it gets to a game game seven or not? But yeah, I, I, I'm going to go exactly with what Scott said. I think that's what I was thinking too. I think ECU loses. I think the first game against Virginia will be a, a close one, but you know, I, I just think Virginia is too good, and I'm, I'm high on them. I have been all year. I just think they they have too many guys. They have too many bats that can come through consistently. But I think if someone's going to come through and have that moment, I think it's Jacob Jenkins Coward. I just feel like he's he's due for a big regional. He Last year, his break his breakout, if you will, he was good all last year, but it was a conference tournament. Didn't happen this year, but uh, I feel like he's going to be fired up on the big stage on the road. So I could see him having delivering that type of moment once you get one. Yeah. I, I think um, I'm, I'm with both of you guys. I think Virginia is the, the best all around team. I think they're going to win the regional. I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked at all if ECU wins it because I do feel like ECU and Virginia are cleared away the best teams all around heading into this regional. Like usually you have a three seed that could be best. And look, Oklahoma is no slouch. I mean, they could easily beat ECU the first game. Um, they were the national runner up last year, but they lost a lot of the studs on that team. So I think ECU's the this clear second best team. And I think if they win the first game against Oklahoma, they're gonna give Virginia everything they they can ask for more. It's just that second game is so 
I mean, that is essentially the regional championship, especially if you're the road team. It, it's nearly impossible to come back out of the loser bracket and win twice. So ECU's got to find a way to win that game, and I just don't know if they got the horses, man. Virginia's just – they're so – they have so much firepower. And two, I think Virginia – there's got to be something to the effect of you lose to ECU a couple times now in the postseason. They should – they should probably be rearing to go for ECU. Maybe that plays the ECU's advantage, but it's hard to beat a team three times in a row. It <laughs> <laughs> is true. Um, but I don't know, man. I, I just feel like this is the year Virginia gets ECU and the Pirates come up short. But but if ECU survives this regional, the Pirates are going to Omaha. Whether they have to go through coastal, whether they're hosting Duke, or hell, hosting UNCW. I think this is the year they finally have a good super regional pairing, and if they could find a way through this regional, Pirates are going to Omaha. So a ton to play for, guys. Um, I think your Savage, whatever day he pitches on, is going to throw a gym, um, whether it's start or bullpen. I think he's going to have a dominant outing. And if he throws the Saturday game, maybe for whatever reason, ECU can't score. It is worth noting that Nick Parker, who threw a complete game against ECU last year as part of Coastal Carolina, he is uh he has been Virginia's Friday night starter the second half of the year. So oh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna assume that he is gonna throw against ECU on Saturday at the Pirates win. So get ready to see a bunch of change ups. Um because that's uh that's likely gonna happen. And they they've got a couple lefties too. And uh I, I think that the Pirates you know will be able to score on Virginia, but I think Virginia is gonna be able to score a lot more in their home ballpark. All right. We'll get back to some of these questions. There's our predictions. Sorry, we didn't have better news. We're all picking ECU to lose, which means the Pirates will win. So that is the positive news. Um, gosh, we got so many random questions here. <laughs> let's, let's get to the things that matter. Uh, Charlie Heritage says this is the first year as committee chair, correct? Charlie, are you referring to to who here? John Cohen, I assume. Cohen's out this year, right? Yeah, Cohen yeah. should be off the committee chair next year. So, um, John Gilbert will be on the committee next year, not as a chair, but in the committee. So, he'll be uh, in a chair, just not the chair. Yeah, he'll be in a chair. He'll be able to, to, <laughs> to, uh, yeah, Charlie says the Auburn guy. So, yeah, he's off the chair, according to my sources. Um, Late to the party, the way he drew it up, slash Buck Wild, he says, but I'm happy with the draw we got. Duke could legitimately beat Coastal. And before you know it, we're hosting the Super. Yeah, I've gotten some questions on who would host the Super if Duke and EC win. It goes to the NCAA, and I, I find it very hard that to believe NCAA would pick Duke as a host over ECU, even though maybe they could say, hey, if we put it in DBAP, and I think they're on the road that weekend. They are. Yeah. Maybe they're like, hey, if we put it in DBAB, we can get like 15,000 people at the game. So that and they'd be all be EC fun. fans. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Kinda, that would be a lot of fun. Think about all those people that came uh, to the Super last year that couldn't get in. Like you could get in at a DBAB. So yeah. we fill that place up, make it loud. If Duke is the host and ECU's the two or the road team, it'll be a essential home game outside of the fact Duke batting last. Yeah, I don't know how that works in the supers though. Yeah, that's a good question. If it's a because like obviously if it's a you know a, a one versus sixteen, then the one seed is home. But if it's two twos, then how do you? 
Yeah, I don't know. All the twos are essentially the same. So Brian Wallace says, where's the Hoist the Colors party going to be in Charlottesville? Um, where did you say it? Where did you say it's going to be? Monticello. Yeah, Monticello. There you go. I have no idea where that is, but we're rolling there. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson House. You guys are going to learn a lot of American <laughs> history. But... <laughs> um, somebody said, are we going? I'll be there covering it. Jonathan's going as a fan. Are you going, Scott? I'll be here in this house. In this chair? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> If it was anywhere closer, like if it's just just far enough away to where like I can't make it work with work and everything else, so fortunately, fair enough, fair enough. You can just attend the super regional and DBAP, so yeah, right. that will be extremely convenient for me. So, uh, a win in Florida says Carter Cunningham will be the X factor with star as a wingman. Carter Cunningham is a Virginia guy, I talked to him today. He said he grew up around an hour and a half from Charlottesville, so. I'm sure he'll be fired up for this one, as he was last year, along with Agnos, who was his old high school teammate. Um, East Carolina has opened up at plus four forty-five hundred odds in Vegas as the twelfth best odds. Campbell and Coastal are plus six thousand. So that's interesting, guys. That means that Vegas thinks ECU has a really good team and a good path to Omaha, which I don't disagree with. I feel like if ECU gets out of this regional, they're going to Omaha. So I'm sure Vegas is looking at it the same way. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Pirates are going to Omaha. They're going to win the national title. So put it in your bets now. And then Did, spend that money on NIL for football. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dan Rosenblum says, I just think of what we lost last year, what we have at this point this year, and it feels like a big difference in the wrong way. We're still capable, but the draw is kind if we get hot. The way he drew it up says in twenty it's twenty twenty three. Twenty three, baby. R.I.P. Leclerc. Omaha. All right. I think we're done. Somebody says stop talking about potential super regionals. No, we're we're definitely gonna talk about potential super regionals. What else will we talk about? We're not on the team. We don't have to take it one game at a time. That's right. Very true. All right, last Question here. We are, somebody asked about the jerseys. We already talked about that. I think ECU starts in the home white, traditional as the host. Um, all right, Kurt Cohn. Good question to end on here. So we're not here all night. Serious question, he wants to say. I feel guilty about being slightly disappointed ECU didn't host for the fifth year in a row. Should I feel guilty is what he says. Obviously, we didn't deserve it ahead of other teams, but I know Cliff is one of the best coaches in the country, and even the best of the best, don't host every year. So, yeah, Stanford now is the longest streak, five straight regional hosting appearances. ECU stops at four. They were the only team along with Stanford to have four. So, yeah, I would say you should feel <laughs> kind of guilty, uh, Kurt. Not that, like, it's wrong to want to host because, obviously, every ECU fan wants to host, but it's just so hard, man. And even more, I think this year, guys, illustrates how hard it is to host when you're not in the SEC or ACC, too. Like you got to be really damn good. ECU had 45 wins, and they weren't even on the hosting bubble, it seemed like. So um, it sucks, but I feel like the Pirates are going to be hosting again soon. This is just one of those outlier years. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think – and, you know, I, I'm with you. Like, am I a little disappointed that ECU is not? Yeah. Do I feel a little guilty about it? Maybe. But in the end, you know, I think 
like Igo said, we all we all want to host and we all want to be here. We all have our reasons, different reasons we want to be close to home. But you know, I do think it's it speaks volumes that and I again I saw this on Twitter earlier today. I don't remember who said it, but it speaks volumes that a down year for East Carolina is 45 wins, a conference tournament runner-up, a 26 RPI. You know, other teams, a, a down year is missing the tournament. Look at, like, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. They're the two most recent national championships. They didn't even make their conference tournament. So, you know, it's different situations, but I do think it speaks volumes that a down year for ECU is being probably the first or one of the highest two seeds that there are. So I think it's really credit to what Cliff Godwin has built here. Um, Scott, any any thoughts there? Or I had another question I was going to read, but now it just it surpassed me. So do you have anything to ask? Add? Yeah, I would. I would say you know I wouldn't feel too guilty. Um, I think we all wanted to host. Yeah. We all know how special Clark Leclerc is um, when we are there as a as a host and. You know, 45 wins, and you look at last year, I think this team in last year's um, world is a host. It, unfortunately, this year, it's just the metrics weren't there because, you know, the teams in our conference didn't play well out of conference more than anything. Um, and then the midweek games this year were a little more tough um, than they had been in the past, and we didn't perform quite as well in, in one-run games, and you saw that all the way through, but um, yeah, I wouldn't feel I wouldn't feel too guilty about not not hosting. Um, we got a good draw. We're going to play a good quality program that I, that I respect a lot uh, in Virginia. And who knows, we may still be hosting in a super regional. So don't give up just yet. Yeah, and I I, I guarantee you one thing, and it speaks to the level of what ECU has done. But Virginia, when they saw ECU pop up on that screen, I'm sure they were pretty pissed. I mean, like. Obviously, they they are friends with Cliff Godwin, the, the coaching staff is, but they have seen firsthand how tough ECU is in the postseason. So, um, you know, they're getting ECU, 45-win ECU, and they're getting the national runner-up from a year ago. So, um, it's tough. So, we'll see what happens, guys. Um, Sam Anderson did add, will Durham burn down if, uh, if there is a super – between Duke and ECU, absolutely. And Greenville will burn down if there's a super between ECU and UNCW. Could y'all imagine that? That would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, so it'll probably end up being Army versus uh, Coastal Carolina. Um, <laughs> that regional. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that. I don't even know who, who got that. Let's, let's see here. Let me see. I got to pull it up here. It is Ryder. Oh yeah. Hey, Ryder beat Duke and gave them a couple tough games. So, oh yeah, Duke probably got as nervous as Virginia yeah. did when they saw Ryder. <laughs> Don't sleep on the Bronx. <laughs> All right, well, let's get out of here, guys. Um, people are talking about crazy things in the comments section, so <laughs> let's get out of here before it goes off the rails. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I know it's been a long day for you guys. Jonathan's over there grinding away, putting putting together his field. Scott's taking care of his kids, making sure they're not running in the room. Jonathan's making sure the pizza delivery guy does not come up <laughs> on the screen through that door in the background. By the way, if you did win, which I have the list right here. Let me let me do this before we get off. Uh, la, la, la. Here we go. All right. Last week, we had the regional prediction contest. 
our winners are Josh Hill, who I know personally, so I'll text him. Uh, Adam Pike also guessed ECU as a two to UVA. And JPN1212 guessed ECU as a two to UVA. You three have won three months of free VIP subscription uh, to hoist the colors. So I just need you to DM me on Twitter or private message me on hoist the colors with your username and info, and I'll hook you up with the three free months. So just do that when you get a chance. All right, guys, this has been fun. Uh, thanks for joining us in the comments section. Jonathan, Scott, appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for uh, taking the time out on Memorial Day. And uh, we will be back next Monday, win or lose, unless there's some sort of crazy scenario where ECU is playing Monday night in Charlottesville. Uh, but we will see you guys then, hopefully recapping a Pirate Regional Championship. But we'll be back either way next Monday night. Talk to you then. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.